Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about people or organizations that have a big impact here in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan, and our first guest is Dr. Lucretia Faison of the St. Paul UMC, located at the downtown Dallas Arts District. This legendary church was founded in 1873, and this year that means you're celebrating your 150th anniversary with all the bells and whistles. How are you doing, Dr. Face? I am doing wonderful, Chris. Thank you so much for having me this morning. And yes, we are celebrating 150 years of God being faithful to St. Paul. And of 150 years of God using this church to make a difference uh, in the lives of people and in the lives of the city of Dallas. So we're grateful. We're excited, grateful, happy, tired, all of it. (laughs) I can imagine this is like this is like a milestone. And the, the amazing thing about it is a lot of churches either don't get to last this long or they either or they move around. And right, I know exactly. St. Paul's has been like downtown forever, right? Or or has it been somewhere else over the 150 years? No, we've been in the same location for 150 years. And that alone is amazing. Yes. Um, and our our story is one of, of faithful people and a faithful God. Um, there were, uh, I like to say, liberated um, men and women who were liberated from the bondage of slavery mm-hmm. from Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas started this church in what was called a brush arbor, basically a uh, a put together makeshift building of poles or trees or whatever they could find. And they, they started um, from very humble beginnings and then built one structure and it didn't last. And so then they began the building of the current structure around the 1900s. And it took over 20 years for that for the current structure to be completed. They brought bricks from all over the place from their own individual mm-hmm. projects at home, from fundraisers that they had. And so that's why you'll see different colors, different colors of bricks on the outside. And then there's some exposed brick also on the inside where you can see this beautiful mosaic that is a testimony to the faithfulness and the perseverance of these people who were just committed. I, I think they just believed God, believed God had uh, a vision for them to plant this church so that people could have hope and be empowered. You know, the church for the black community has always been that center yes. uh, where we found dignity and, and empowerment, where the civil rights movement was was birthed and nurtured and flourished. And so, and St. Paul has been a critical part of that for the city of Dallas. You know, 
it's amazing because, again, the church has been there at the same location for 150 years. Is it listed as a historical landmark? It is a historical landmark. It certainly is. And, and we're very proud of that. Yes, and, you, you know, should be. It was also built by the first African-American architect in the city of Dallas, William Sidney Pittman, Pittman, who's the son-of-law of Booker T. Washington. So there's a lot of fascinating history in St. Paul. And, and that's what we wanted to celebrate uh, during this 150th anniversary. Our theme for this um, season has been from generation to generation, right? And, and mm-hmm. because we're talking about how our faith is passed from one generation to the next. And we wanted to highlight that. We wanted to celebrate that. And we want to live into that as we begin to empower uh, young leaders for the next for the next 150. And so uh, this is this is just been a, a wonderful time. Oh, yes. It's absolutely amazing. And you mentioned the architect. Did you say the son-in-law of Booker T. Washington? The son-in-law of Booker T. Washington. OK, so hold on. Designed the building. Hold on a second. This is just blowing my mind because exactly across the street, for those who don't know, St. Paul is located across the street from Booker T. Washington High School, the arts right. magnet, where some of the that, greatest performers and musicians have ever graced Dallas, Nora Jones, Erica Badu. There were right. some of the, I mean, it's amazing how the son-in-law, he built the church across the street. Exactly. And we have this longstanding, as a matter of fact, Booker T. Washington just celebrated their centennial, their their 100-year celebration. Wow. We participated with them. They had one of their services. We had a worship service at the church and they came over. We have a longstanding relationship uh, and partnership with the school. And we're very proud of that. We have a, a weekly ministry to the students we call Walkover Wednesday. Mm-hmm. On any given Wednesday, at, at when the bell rings, you'll see hordes of students crossing the street, coming over to St. Paul. Uh, for a time of, uh, we get them snacks and just kind of have some music going and uh, they just come in, they get their snacks. We just laugh and joke with them. I, I sometimes dance a little bit. Very nice. <laughs> and um, we just celebrate and have this this wonderful connection with the students and they love it and we love it. And we have a student, as as a matter of fact, that works on our team and our, on our audio visual team uh-huh. and they come over and we have them come over sometimes and dance and perform. And did you know that Erica Badu once sang in our youth choir? Is that right? That is amazing. That is correct. And now she's got her Grammys across the street at the school. I know. So we're very (laughs) proud. We're very proud of that connection. And we are, uh, we, we, we were continuing this ministry um, and this partnership. And one of the things that we did at our anniversary luncheon, we honored a lot of our community partners, Mm -hmm. um, such as the Jackson Walker law firm. They help us provide over a hundred gifts for children of incarcerated parents are during the Christmas season. Oh, very Uh, nice. First United Methodist church. We have an ongoing racial justice partnership with this church that we're very excited about. Um, One Arts Plaza right behind us, they provide space for us to do ministry. And so we're very excited about our partners and we highlighted and and recognized uh, our community partners, such as the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. As a matter of fact, in December, we'll have their concert truck again and and our Christmas um, celebration on the parking lot. So we, one of the I think one of the strengths of this church is the way we partner uh, with our neighbors, with with others, yeah. other community agencies, so that we can do important ministry in the arts district. It's absolutely amazing. Again, the arts district, district kind of grew around the church, and it's exactly. literally walking distance from the Mort Myerson Center, across the street from Booker T. Washington. It's, it's just absolutely amazing that the arts district it actually fits around St. Paul Church. It's, it's like everything kind of fits and goes together. Can, can you kind of describe 
how that area kind of grew into the arts district and how St. Paul has always been a part. I mean, it's never been, oh, and there's St. Paul. St. Paul has always been a part of it. Right, right. As a matter of fact, St. Paul historically has been called the soul of the arts district. Okay. And, and we like that. Yeah. <laughs> and our, our current vision statement, our current mission is, is to love all people, body and soul. And so we are, I, I'd like to think of us as the heartbeat uh, of the things that happen in the arts community. So we are very connected. Uh, we're very much a part of that community. We, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely not going anywhere. We're a historical landmark. And you're right, the arts district has developed around St. Paul, but we're also integrated within the arts district. Yes. Um, I serve on the Dallas Arts District Board. I mean, we want to be involved and connected. We we see that as a critical part of who we are. Um, we've historically had a jazz night and we're going to kind of revive that during our celebration in October with a jazz night celebration. So we are committed to being a, a vital and and valued part of the arts district. It is a part of who we are. You mentioned the partnerships and the relationships all in the arts district. Do you do very much with Clyde Warren Park, which is right next door? You know, we, we have not yet had some any major events in Clyde Warren Park, but we have plans. Yeah. And uh, one of the things we're working on, I'm going to put a little teaser out. We want to do something called Puppy Church. <laughs> ah. We want to, yeah, we want to I know where you're going. Who, who love their pets. Yeah. So we're planning, we're we're in the still in the planning stages on this of planning some kind of monthly gathering where we have people with pets come and we bless their pets. And we encourage them and keep it real simple. Um, but we, we have some ideas and some things we're planning. So that is definitely in the works. And we have had in the past, um, we have had some events at Clyde Warren Park. One of them, well, well near the park, I believe there was mm-hmm. an Easter on the bridge with some events that happened prior to COVID. So that's something that we had not restarted yet because of the things that happened during right. COVID. But we definitely want to continue um, that relationship. And so we have we have some plans. So be listening out for some things coming from us in the future. Absolutely fantastic. Again, we are talking to the good doctor, Lucretia Facing yes. at St. Paul's uh, United Methodist Church downtown in the Arts District. And you also, in honor of this 150th celebration, you're having a big golf tournament. Can you talk about that? It's we coming up next week. We are having weekend. a golf tournament. The uh, Samuel L. Brown Golf Tournament is going to be on September the 8th. Uh, it is at um, the Golf Club of Dallas, right. which is on Redbird Lane. You can play as an individual uh, for 150 or a team of four is $600. Uh, you can go to our, well, now the registration has been closed, but you can still come on site to register. We've, You know, the cool thing is we've gotten an overwhelming response uh, for all of our events. And so while they're not taking any more online registrations, you can still show up and still be a part of this wonderful golf tournament. And the, the proceeds from the event that we're having from our luncheon and from this golf tournament are going to help us to continue to do uh, the ministry that we're doing to mm-hmm. to do the walk over Wednesday to do uh, to help support our body and soul ministry, which is our ministry to our unsheltered uh, neighbors. We give them a hot breakfast uh, every Saturday and a hot dinner every Sunday. Oh, nice. And this ministry has been going on for 25 years. 
Um, wow. And then we bring a message of encouragement. We also provide some basic uh, toiletries and sometimes some clothing. And we build relationships. Some of our unsheltered friends come to our church on Sunday. We had one join a couple of weeks ago. So it's not just ministry to, it's ministry with. Mm-hmm. And we're very, very proud of the ministry that goes on. And this ministry is run by the young adults in our church. And so that's something that I'm particularly proud of. We've literally passed this ministry on to the next generation. And they've taken it. They've gotten creative with it and we absolutely love it. So when you come to the golf tournament and bring your team, you are helping us to continue uh, to meet the needs of those who are experiencing um, homelessness. And we use the term unsheltered uh, on purpose because we're they're not less than in any way. They're right. just unsheltered. And so, um, you know, life happens uh, and, and it can happen for a lot of different reasons to people and, and, some, and our struggles um, with mental health and with other issues. And so it's not about being less in any way. It's about just not having shelter. And so we try to provide uh, a respite from that through the body and soul ministry. And that's why we've incorporated it into our mission statement. Our goal is to love all people, body and soul. And that means we do ministry in a way that meets uh, meets needs holistically. We don't just want to minister to your spirit. We want to minister to your practical needs. And so that's really what's behind the push we've had uh, to to uh, we had we had a goal of raising one hundred fifty thousand dollars for our one hundred fiftieth anniversary mm-hmm. because we really want to continue to do what God has called us to do and that is be a light in the city of Dallas. And so come on out, have a, a round of golf, have a great time, and then continue to check us out throughout the rest of the year. Um, join us in October, join us in December. All of these events are on our website, stpaulumcdallas.org. So check us out, check us out any given Sunday. Hey, listen, the more the merrier. We're partying until the end of the year. I love it. And, and I'll, I'll, let's go back to the unsheltered thing, because I think that's sure. so important, especially with the youth ministry uh, be, being totally involved, because I always look at some of the situations, as you as you mentioned, they're so unique sometimes. It, and it right. sometimes can be a, a very temporary situation. But at the time, right. you may not know where to turn. And I like the exactly. fact that St. Paul is there. Again, there's different reasons people wind up, quote unquote, homeless or without shelter. Right. And right. sometimes it's temporary and sometimes it's longer than they expect. And I always think about that Will Smith movie, you know, and and, and how they made it through. And and you right, also, right. you know, there's all kinds of examples where even through the pandemic, you know, where people wound up without shelter. They wound up not where, exactly. where their next meal was going to be, but then they were able to get back on their feet for whatever the reason. And I just like the fact that you're there for those who may be in that situation, that less fortunate situation. And sometimes people are embarrassed or they don't want to be judged. And I like the fact right, that St. Paul right. is there. Can you talk about some of those things? And I, I bring this up because, I mean, St. Paul is right there in the heart of the of the arts district, which means it's right. also right next door to Uptown, where there's a exactly. lot of people who move to Dallas and they live in Uptown. And there have been some souls who wind up, you know, in Uptown, and all of a sudden they lose their apartment or their right. job situation right. changes and they don't know where to turn. Right. And unfortunately, we've seen an uptick in a, you know, it's it's a, it's a mixed blessing because we want to be there to minister to people. But then it breaks your heart sometimes when you see that there are more people um, coming in. Um, um, but we want to be there to meet the needs. And right. we feel the week, we feel that gap on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um 
with the Saturday breakfast and the Sunday dinner. And since 1997, we've given out more than 80,000 meals. And I, I think that's wow. pretty awesome. Yeah. And what is such a blessing? And we partner with other churches. We have uh, First United Methodist Church has volunteers that come over and serve with us. Mm-hmm. Um, First UMC and Richardson has been a, a longtime partner on Sunday afternoons. And so it's also an opportunity for partnership uh, for others to come in. And our young adults uh, lead this ministry and lead it very well. I come in about once a month and bring the message. We have a message that we share, a message of encouragement. And so it is one of the it is one of the best um, best things I do. I think it's one of the most important things that I do in ministry uh, is when I come and share. Um, and have gotten to know some of these men and women. And, and I think that's why it's it's called body and soul, because we're, we're not just feeding the body. We also nourish the soul mm-hmm. so that we, we help people to feel like it doesn't matter uh, where you are right now. God loves you and cares for you. And we are here to affirm God's love and care for you and to walk with you and to help you find resources. Another thing that we do is try to connect um, our unsheltered friends with resources, um, with with health care needs, with transportation. We work on we we try to address whatever issues that we can. So it's it's a big part of what we do at St. Paul. We're really committed to it. Um, we say this all the time. Once you get connected in body and soul, you'll be hooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have people who joined the church uh, because of they came to body and soul and they served and they just loved it. And so um, it's it's vital. It's important. And uh, we see it as one of the things God has called us to do um, in the downtown area. Speaking of God calling you to do something. You came mm-hmm. to you came to St. Paul's and you're following the footsteps of another great pastor. I call you a great pastor, but also our good friend, Pastor Richie Butler, who's now with St. Yes. Luke. He was at St. Paul for a while there. And I want to know your story, how you came to be the pastor for St. Paul. Well, as you know, and you may or may not know, in the United Methodist Church, our pastors are appointed. Yes. And that means yes. that the bishop and cabinet make appointments based on what they see as the best needs for the church. And sometimes it's an, it's a move out of necessity. One pastor gets moved from one church. And then as we say, the dominoes fall and the move, other moves happen. And I, and I believe that's what happened. There was a, a pastoral change at St. Luke and the bishop and cabinet discerned that Pastor Butler's gifts and graces would fit uh, that church, our mm-hmm. sister congregation. And so then, um, then I was called to serve at St. Paul and I came in the heart of the pandemic. It was a very oh, wow. interesting, as my word for it, challenging time because I met the church in a virtu- in the virtual space. We met wow. on Zoom. Yeah, talk about an uh, unusual way to get introduced to a church. You yeah, know, looking the on the camera, trying to wave yeah. and talk to people. Mm-hmm. And so I went through a series of doing Zoom meetings with groups of people, trying to get to know them, and. Um, it, is, it was just a very unusual way to come in, but we persevered. We had some parking lot worship services, which were okay. a lot of work, but so much fun to do. I enjoyed those quite a I bit. I bet some of those days were challenging with the weather. Some of those days were challenging, but you know what? God blessed. Every time we were outside, the weather was perfect. Oh, good. <laughs> so they, yeah. I think the Lord God's shined plan. on us. That's right. I really do. Like Drake says, God's plan. for that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. So we, you know, it was a very slow, it was slow going. And I'm preaching to a camera like a lot of pastors were doing and uh, trying to get to know people over the phone and mm -hmm. on Zoom. But we persevered. Um, I, I think it's in the, I say this, it's in the DNA of this church. Perseverance is a part of who we are. We 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 came from a people who did not quit. Right. And so we we have to be the church that just does not quit. And so it made it even more, I think, more of a blessing when we came together again. Uh, and we still continue. We still stream our services uh, virtually, but we are in person now. And it's such a blessing to, to get to be in the sanctuary, to be in that yeah. historic space um, with these wonderful people who are very committed, committed to the Lord and committed to this church. So uh, we're rocking and rolling now, and I absolutely love it. So what is your favorite part about what you do? I know it, it's a seven-day-a-week thing. But what is the yeah, part that you get the most out of? Because I, I always put, you know, uh, people in church, educators, mm -hmm. first responders, and uh, hospital workers in a special category because it's all about the empathy. Everybody loves to give of themselves in some kind of way, and this is your particular passion. So what in particular do you find the most um, grateful or the most gratitude Engaging with people is, is what I love the most. Being a part, mm -hmm. being able to be a part of people's lives, sometimes in, in, in the celebrations and the wonderful things that happen. But also, as difficult it is, it is a privilege to be able to be with people in those difficult moments when someone passes away or mm -hmm. they're in the hospital. Those are, uh, are very tender times. But they're also, I think, the times that it's, it's an honor yeah, uh, to be able to be present in people's lives, I get to do that in very unique ways. People share their hearts and their hurts, and sometimes that's hard. But at the same time, it's such an honor. You know, yeah. it's such a privilege. And and then I'm a preacher. I love to preach. I'm not going to lie about that. Mm -hmm. When I'm a preacher, and so that interaction on Sunday morning with the in, you know in the African American church, we talk to each other. Oh yeah. And so <laughs> call and respond. That call and response. I I love that engagement. And what I love about it is when someone comes to me and says, "That's exactly what I needed to hear." Yeah. Helped me. Mm -hmm. Or even, Pastor, you were stepping on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I like that call. one, too. That means I did my job. <laughs> yes, yes, you, you you got some sense into them right there. You know, so I, I love that. I love that God gives gives me the privilege and the honor of being a part of people's lives. How old were you um, when you realized you could you could preach? Um, You know, I don't know that I thought. I never thought that I was a preacher or pastor, per se. I just knew that God was... God wanted to use me in some way. And that that started coming to me when I was a kid, mm -hmm. uh, when I was about 11 or 12. I didn't know what it meant at the time. Uh, I would discern that over the years. And honestly, I didn't I, I didn't fully answer my call until I was in my mid 30s. Mm -hmm. And so but it was a process of just just believing that God was um, calling me. And that's why I think it's so important that we um that Sunday school is so important that we teach children about God's love because God can be, God can speak to children. God can and does speak to children and begins to call them, I think, at very young ages. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I don't believe necessarily you need to put an eight-year-old up to preach. I think there's a lot that has to happen <laughs> right. uh, before that, that, but I do think that you can begin to discern and see God moving in the lives. And I had people in my lives, I had pastors who would say things to me like, I think God wants to use you. I see uh -huh. gifts in you. And so I think it's important that we see, see that and, and, and begin to say that and speak that 
into the lives of young people. I think that's why it's so important that they're a part of the church. I say this all the time. Young people need the church. I don't believe in giving children an option about going to church. Because you don't know how God will move in their lives. Mm-hmm. And sometimes giving them that foundation is everything. Sometimes it's, everything it's just that, the purpose. They'll need later in life. Yeah, they just need a purpose. Right, right. And, and, and that so gives people a roadmap. The church yeah. is, is that place where community is formed and where, um, and one of the things I also love about St. Paul is we are a multi-generational church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have people of all ages. And I think it's extremely important to have older saints and uh, seasoned saints and younger yeah. uh, to empower younger, uh, the younger generation. And you know what it is? Encourage. You know what it is? They've got wisdom. Exactly. You can have exactly. knowledge, but you have to be around a little while to have the wisdom. You do, you do. And 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 then we have to learn how to share that wisdom in ways that are life-giving and affirming, mm-hmm. right? And not in not ways that are judgmental or critical. I think sometimes people, you know, I've heard that I've I've heard that rap about the church. Well, they're judgy. Well, you know, sometimes it's learning that we we have to be mindful of how we share with one another. So I'm I'm really big on on how we um how we are in a community and how we are with each other. Dr. Uh, I think Faison. that's important and that matters. Yeah, Dr. Faison, let's talk about the the building again. I'm, I'm going to bring this up because yeah. I know I've walked around the building once, just once. I've walked around mm-hmm. with a right. Pastor Butler back in the day. And I was always impressed. With, this is a nice old building. What it are some is. of the things about that building that really impressed you? Or to this day, you say, well, you know what? I found this little one hallway or I found <laughs> I found this secret stairway or whatever it is, a, a little nook or cranny or something just, just amazed you because that's 150 years at one it location. Is. You know, when you walk in the foyer, uh, that when you walk in that wood, it, it creaks, mm-hmm. right? And I like that for some reason. I, I just just that because it just it, it. I think it's. I said you know this is a this is a throwback to yeah. when it when they built this place. You know this this place has been yeah. talking for 150 years, and so I think things like that. The brick that's exposed with on the inside is something that I will touch from time to time. It's mm-hmm. a it's a reminder. It's um, it it's a uh, it's encouraging, um. But it reminds me of, of of the people who persevered and, and the history of those who had been in bondage and, mm-hmm. and then freed and took that freedom and made it count, right? Exactly. And so that there are just many things around that church that uh that are touchstones uh that continue to talk to us and remind us that God is faithful. I think more than anything, it reminds me that when we decide to trust God and commit a vision to God, God will bring it to pass. And it is a historical site. It's a a bona fide historical site. In in 2014, it was designated a Texas historical landmark. And in 2016, it was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. I mean, so that's, that's why, that's powerful. yes, that's, that's why I would like to encourage anybody, you know, five, six, seven days a week, just swing by there. If you get a chance, it's almost like going to a museum. And, and I bring that up because, you know, a lot of people can go to different churches and sometimes the mega mm-hmm. churches are so impressive because they're so large or they have all the, the different kind of things that, wow, this church is so big and it's got all these different things. But sometimes you want to say, okay. I want to go somewhere, not just for the service, but to say I was in a building, a church that was in the same place for 150 years right, in an right. area of Dallas that was called Freedman's Land. Freedman's Town. Yeah, right. Freedman's Town. That's right. It was one place that we were safe. 
And so, yeah, I think that building is still talking. <laughs> so, yeah. And we're actually working on on doing, uh, having tours. So that's another thing that's in yeah, the works you really that should. we want to actually have. We have, and we've had these banners created during, uh, for our anniversary that we have, that have a timeline on them of our entire history. They're beautiful. And so there'll be a part of that that tour that we are currently working on. So we have we have some wonderful plans in the works so that people can come and experience um, uh, this building and what it means to us, and and experience hopefully the also the life of our church that continues, uh, and that I believe by faith will continue um, for the next century. So we're we're excited, and you know we are here, and we are going to continue uh, to be that place that offers hope, health, and healing from the affluent to the unsheltered. We're going to love all people, body and soul. That's just, who we are. And that's what we do. Oh, I love it. And I love the fact, again, that it's multi-generational. It's like it is. It, 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 you can see some of everybody in that church. And that's it's right. also right there downtown in the arts district across the street from the acclaimed Booker T. Washington arts magnet. And it was Built by Booker T. Washington's son-in-law. This is just blind. This is mind-blowing to me. And it's walking distance to the Morton Myerson Center. It's all right there. All the different museums. It's all right all there. Convenient. Clyde Warren Park. It's a wonderful place. Yeah. It's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful space. I love that St. Paul is, is is in the heart of it. You can actually see us if you're driving along Woodall Rogers. Mm-hmm. You can see the building. And so it, it's just a wonderful place to be um, during this time in Dallas. We are again, committed to the work of social justice. We have Thursday table talks going on with uh, First United Methodist Church. We're having vital conversations. So we're we're definitely not finished yet. God is not done with us yet. Um, we are continuing the work of, of racial justice. We think that's important. It's a significant part of who we are. And we invite anyone that wants to be a part of that work uh, to come alongside us. We have people that come and serve with us that aren't members of the church. Right. You don't have to be a member uh, to come and serve with us. We we love that, right? You, you know, it's, it's amazing that. because there's probably some people driving past St. Paul's right now as they're listening to this show on the air. It's so amazing because it's right there and like, oh, I didn't know that's what, there. that's St. Paul's. I just saw the structure. Right. I, I love right, all of right, this. Right. And just to remind everybody once again, there is a very big golf tournament coming up and tell people once again more about it and where they can find all the information. September the 8th, it is going to be held at the Golf Club of Dallas, which is located at 2200 West Redbird Lane. An individual player is for 150, uh, a team of 4600. The information is on our website, stpaulumcdallas.org. Um, if you can't get on the registration there, just show up and you'll be able to register on site. I promise you, we will not turn you away. Uh, you can also buy a hole. I think a holes are like ten dollars. You can mm-hmm. also contribute by purchasing a hole if you like to do that. So, and all, again, all of that goes to help us do ministry for Walkover Wednesday, for um, Body and Soul, for um, Angel Tree, uh, and helps helps us to continue to be faithful and do God's work. She is Dr. Lucretia Faison of the St. Paul UMC, located in the downtown Dallas Arts District. The legendary church founded in 1873, celebrating its 150th year anniversary, a Texas historical site. Dr. Faison, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and joining us right now is Ms. Fonda Bryant. Fonda Bryant is a suicide prevention specialist. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. She's also uh, a very good friend. And it's all because you need to be aware of signs that someone close to you could be at risk. And so, finally, I'm, of course, thrilled to have you on again. How you been? I've been doing well. What about you? Busy. I've been, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I hope you're doing well, too. Oh, just doing just fine. And again, I, I want to preface all this because every now and then you text me something where it seems like there's somebody that may have had a sign where they were having thoughts that they didn't want to be around anymore. And recently you watched the Johnny Manziel uh, documentary. And on that documentary, he said, Things are going so crazy for him. He picked up a gun and went and tried to kill himself. Can you talk to me about your thoughts when you saw that and, and when you read the report on Yahoo Sports and what went through your mind? Well, it, what went through my mind is it, it's just not surprising because the signs were there. And too many people don't pick up on those signs until unfortunately it's too late. So Johnny Manziel was distributed, was displaying signs that he was in trouble before he was really at that point. The, um, uh, he was doing things like, you know, the wild behavior, mm -hmm. the spending the money, the drinking, the doing drugs, um, not sleeping, just up all the time. A lot of those signs, they were just right there and self-destructive behavior was everywhere. Can I say Everyone, this? Self-destructive behavior. Can I say this for those who did, have not seen the documentary? He mentions in the documentary, this is Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, went to Texas A&M, won the Heisman Trophy as a freshman, then was drafted by the Cleveland Browns and had a terrible career, but was always in the limelight. And he mentioned that things were going so out of control, he just felt like, okay, I'll just keep going out of control, and then I will get this gun, and I will shoot myself, and people will say, I understand why. And he said the only reason he's still around is because the gun didn't go off. He actually did all the steps. Yeah, and it's, it's just really sad because, unfortunately, he's a high-profile person. Mm -hmm. But this happens every single day. 
And, and see, a lot of times people don't want to see it because they don't want that person getting mad at them. And I repeat this over and over again. You got two choices to save our lives when we get to that point where we're in serious crisis or suicidal. You can help us. And yeah, we might get mad at you, might not ever speak to you again, but we're alive not to do that. And eventually we'll get over it. But if we don't, we're alive. Or you can do nothing and you can go to a funeral and live with that why pain. And I call it the why pain because it's why didn't I know? Why didn't I do something? Why didn't I reach out? Why didn't they reach out to me? Why, why, why? So people saw the signs, but they're so worried. A lot of times that person's going to get mad at them or not speak to them or not give them any money or let them be a part of their circle that they ignore those signs. And then you do have people that simply just don't know the signs and what to do. So he had both camps, both sets of people in his camp, the people that knew and ignored the signs and the people that saw the signs and wanted to do something, but just didn't know what to do. Let's go over those signs again for those who may not be familiar or think they have a clue. Well, one of those signs is what he displayed, destructive destructive, um, behavior, Mm -hmm. the destructive behavior, you know, just out of control, uh, drinking, doing drugs. That can also be a sign, substance abuse, because alcohol is liquid courage. A lot of times people won't say or do things. Uh, normally, but then when they're drinking or doing drugs, they will do it. Also, the not eating, eating too much, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, and things that you were most that you were once interested in because he talked about that a lot in the documentary. He was no longer interested in; he had lost his love for it. Mm-hmm. So, those are some of the signs to really, really be looking out for a person's uh, appearance. Uh, My parents changed big time when I was depressed and heading down that path of suicide because I didn't have the energy. Um, Your job will suffer for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, your job, um, you don't have the concentration to do your job. So that could be a sign as well. And even personal hygiene, you might not have the energy or the focus to even take a shower or brush your teeth. So those could be some of the signs and also personality changes. My personality changed big time from being outgoing, very talkative to being really withdrawn. And another dangerous part of signs is the isolation. Someone who used to get out and be around people and now all of a sudden they're isolating themselves. Mm -hmm. Isolation is so dangerous because when we're alone with our, our thoughts, those thoughts can turn into action. So those are some of the signs to be looking out for, for a loved one who might be in crisis or suicidal. Can you talk about how your auntie realized you were in trouble because something you said about your shoes Yes, I I love shoes. I have a lot of them. They mean a lot to me. But when I was suicidal, I felt like my aunt should have them. So it's a, I was giving away prized possessions. And when you want to give away prized possessions, it does not have to be money, jewelry, anything of monetary value. It can be something sentimental that you know that person really is attached to. So I called my aunt Spanky on Valentine's Day, 1995, and I told her she could have my shoes. And I don't remember much about the conversation, but thank goodness my aunt picked up on those signs because we weren't educated on the signs of suicide. Mm -hmm. And she called me back and she said, are you going to kill yourself? And I said, yes. And she went into action like a superhero. Now, I didn't know what she had done, but she had to have me involuntarily committed, involuntarily committed. And that's when the police come. You have no choice. 
and I was handcuffed and taken to a mental health facility. And you hope and pray, Chris, you don't have to do somebody you care about like that, where it gets to that point where you have to ha you have to call the police officers, the crisis intervention team police officers, and have us involuntarily committed. Because the more signs and the more warning signs we see on the front end, the better off that we can get that person help. And you can also let them be a part of getting help. You can ask them, do you have insurance? Do you have an employee assistance program through your job, an EAP? But the more facts and clues that you gather on the front end, the better off you'll be where you don't have to have that person involuntarily committed and taken to a mental health facility against their will. But at the end of the day, you have to do whatever it takes to save someone's life. And if my Aunt Kelly, my Aunt Spanky, hadn't had me involuntarily committed, I would not be here today. I can truly tell you that. I would not be here today. And you were mad at her for a while, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I was hot. Every time she called, I'd hang up on her. You know, it took me years, even though I eventually got over it. But it still took me years when I became a QPR, question, persuade, refer, suicide prevention instructor. When I started getting educated on suicide and mental health and really realizing how close I came to death was when I realized my Aunt Spanky was a hero. Everybody needs to be like Aunt Spanky. Everybody needs to have an Aunt Spanky because she didn't care if I got mad at her. She didn't care if my mother got mad at her. She didn't care that her own mother got mad at her. All she wanted to do was act and save my life. And I will always be grateful to her because, you know, I'm a 28 year veteran of suicide. And as each year passes, as I come to that milestone, you know, of, you know, whatever mm -hmm. year it is, I'm more grateful because I still got to put in the work every day, Chris, this is not going away. A mental health condition. I was diagnosed with clinical depression. I have anxiety. And if I don't put in the work every day with those good coping skills, making sure I set boundaries and take care of myself, I could go right back down that path again and I could still die by suicide. So I have to make sure every single day I put in the work and I take care of myself. And we're so glad you're here for us and spreading the word and, and, and like I said, taking care of yourself. We're talking to Fonda Bryant. She is a suicide prevention Expert. I'm going to call you expert at this point, not just a specialist, <laughs> an you. expert. And September is National Suicide Prevention Month. It's also uh, back to school time. It's a lot of kids going back to school, been back to school uh, over the last few weeks or whatever. And we're talking about elementary schools. We're talking about junior high, high school and colleges. And you have done a lot of work over the years with people who've had to help kids who either had friends commit suicide or or who had suicidal thoughts. And that's a that's an area that a lot of people are either always surprised to hear about, but I think they know more about it because on this side of the pandemic, there are a lot of kids going through things that, you know, kids typically never had to go through. A lot of isolation, a lot of virtual learning, a lot of anxiety over not being able to see their friends again or worrying what the future might be. Can you talk about some of the work you have done with kids and uh, educators as far as suicide prevention is concerned? 
Yes, I um, worked at a high school last year, Hopewell High School. It's a big school here in Charlotte. And I was hired for school-based COVID. But because they already knew and I had volunteered at Hopewell as a mental health and suicide prevention advocate, Chris, every day my office was full of students. Miss Fonda, I'm struggling. Miss Fonda, I'm thinking about hurting myself. No one listens. No one cares. And it was overwhelming some days. But the thing that I really let everybody know is to simply caring, simply caring, just because we're um, a football player or a student, you know, a football player or a student or uh, um, ex um, I'm sorry, educator. Sure. It does Teacher. not mean mm -hmm. that they can't be struggling. So one of the biggest things is at the high school that I worked at, our principal was a therapist. And she gave me um, reins, free reins to do whatever I wanted to do at the school to bring awareness to mental health and suicide prevention. And one of those ways that we did it, I trained youth in QPR, question, persuade, refer, suicide prevention training, because anybody can save a life from youth to adults. And when you take that training, it, it does two things. Number one, it teaches you how to help someone who's suicidal in crisis, recognize those signs and get that person help. But the other thing it does, it gave, it helps you to gauge your own health. Am I okay today? Am I doing all right today? Maybe I need to talk to someone. And that training really, really helps. And the only difference between the youth uh, training for QPR and adult training, we urge youth to go tell an adult. And we had that a couple of years ago. Young lady in the marching band, her friend was going to take her own life. She took the training. And as soon as she got finished with the training, she called the high school and told the principal. And the principal called me and she said, Fonda, was so-and-so in your class? And I said, yes. She said, she just saved someone's life. And something wow. that really gives me hope, the younger generation is embracing mental health. Mm -hmm. They want to know what it is. They want to know what the symptoms and signs are. I was at a high school just on Tuesday speaking to a football team, the JV and varsity team. And I was so proud when a young football player asked me, he said, Miss Fonda, what are the signs of anxiety? And I told him it's the constant worrying things that we can't control. So then I told him this, this is the litmus test for mental health. We all have days where we're depressed. We all have days where we're full of anxiety, especially in the world we're living in. But if it lasts for more than two weeks, and it starts interfering with your everyday life, you need to go talk to someone because it won't get better. Death is the ultimate with an undiagnosed, untreated mental health condition, suicide. But there are other things, poor decisions, bad judgment, incarceration, self-medicating. And that's something, Chris, you see at a lot of the high schools, mm -hmm. especially with black males, self-medicating with smoking weed instead of getting help. So that's something I've really been concentrating on, helping these youth to let them know it's okay not to be okay and finding other coping skills to help them besides turning to drugs and alcohol because their brains don't fully develop until they're 25 years old. So anything that they do before before then, it's taking a, a negative effect on their brain. Also, self-medication is basically just a, a temporary pacifier. It's not solving anything. It's just making you forget for a while or taking mind off of your misery for a while. So I like the fact that you're aware that, okay, self-medication, that may make you feel okay for that day or for that moment, but it doesn't solve where you are. It, it, it definitely does not because, see, I never did drugs nor alcohol. And everybody thinks when people self-medicate, that's the two people, 
that that's what people do. But there are other things, like I told you, gambling, oh yeah, pornography, mm -hmm. sex, mm -hmm. excessive shopping, right. excessive uh, working out. And see, for me, I'm very honest in my journey, especially with the young girls at Hopewell, because uh, at the, and, you know, at the high school level, because I see myself in them. And I started having sex way too early at 13, and then it was years later that I started figuring out that that was my self medicating. Because see, this is the thing. It, it's like before you do drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, you get this euphoric feeling. Mm -hmm. You feel great. You feel great. Then during it, drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, you're, you're still in that euphoric phrase, that uh, that euphoric phase. And mm -hmm. um, the dopamine is kicking in, the serotonin. But after it's over with, you're like, what in the world did I do? And you feel lower than when you started. So that's why you have to find those good coping skills. As I always tell people to put in your imaginary mental health toolbox to help you on those days of depression, anxiety, or whatever mental health disorder that you're dealing with. Because 28 years ago, all I knew was medication and therapy. And here we are 28 years later, we have music therapy art therapy who would have ever thought that coloring in coloring books brings down your anxiety yeah exercise mm -hmm. you know i work out three to four times a week and i love to sweat because i feel like hey i'm getting out all the depression and anxiety for the day eating right and i read a report that said black people do not get enough vitamin d and where's vitamin d found in the sun mm -hmm. get out and go for a walk. And also another thing, Chris, that helps me tremendously is volunteering. When you're out here helping people, especially who are like you and you give them your hand and pull them up out of the quicksand, it can make a world of difference sure. because you're giving back and helping. Oh, I love all of this. And again, this is National Suicide Prevention Month. And you mentioned QPR training. Can you break that down just a little bit for those who are curious about what does it take and how can I get more information about QPR? Sure. QPR is just like CPR. Most people have had CPR and CPR is to help someone who's having a heart attack or stroke. You can save their life and they can still end up dying and it's, that's not your fault. QPR, question, persuade, refer, suicide prevention training is the same thing. I'm training you how to help someone who is in a mental health crisis, suicide, or even addiction. And when you help someone who might be going down that path of suicide and you save their life and then they still take their own life down the road, it is not your fault because we have to put in the work every day. If I lost somebody that I um, stop from suicide, it would hurt me, but it wouldn't be my fault. They have to put in the work just like I do. Mm -hmm. So QPR is a two hour training that I do online and in person. I do one free training on a Saturday a month from one o'clock to three o'clock Eastern Standard Time Sharp. There is no registration. Uh, you just have to get online and take the entire two hour training. You learn how to talk to us. Uh, what to say, what not to say. The training is very upbeat, positive. It provides hope. And above, above else, you cannot be judgmental when you're helping us. Because if you are, we're going to shut down and we're not going to say anything else to you. Once you get finished with the training, I swear to you, Chris, you have spider sense. Because you will look at people, how they behave mm -hmm. differently, and you'll listen more intently. You also get a two-year certificate. When you get finished, you get a two-year certificate. You are a certified 
certified gatekeeper. You get a resource card and you get a QPR booklet in PDF form. I email all of that. One of the things that I always tell people is when they get finished taking the training is that I hope you never have to use it. Mm -hmm. But if you have to use it, I have no doubt with the way that I train that you will be able to save a life. And people have taken my training from March of 2020 to now and have used that training to save people's lives. So it is awesome training because suicide is the most preventable death of all deaths. And any positive action can save a life. Here, here, just preach. We're talking to Fonda Bryant, suicide prevention specialist, expert, and advocate. And, and Fonda, you've been around the country and you've been lauded. You've been received all kinds of awards, but also you've worked with all different types of educators and colleges. And can you talk about a little bit of the work that you've done with the different groups and some of these awards that you've that you've received? Because you are literally an advocate. Yes, I am 24 hours, seven days a week, 365. And you know something, Chris, when I when I win an award, is I know this is going to sound strange to some people, but I actually have the imposter syndrome. I don't like people calling me a rock star. When I get awards, I'm very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. because. But at the end of the day, I just want to get out and help people. When you have somebody that comes up to you and they got tears in their eyes or they're crying and they need help and you can put them in touch with resources or when I get out with my signs uptown Charlotte to say honk for suicide prevention, honk for suicide prevention month and people pull over and get out of their car and cry because they're a survivor. That's what the reward is for me. That's what I truly love because my goal is to lead this world better than which I came. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I am very proud about is the fact that because of my work with suicide prevention signs, getting suicide prevention signs up in parking decks, that there's now a bill in the North Carolina House in my name. It is House Bill 858, the Fonda Bryant Suicide Prevention Signage Act. And what that bill is going to do is set aside $500,000 for parking decks in North Carolina to use to put my signs up in parking decks. And those signs came about because of a conversation. And it went from there. And my signs are now up in 11 parking decks, but I'm not done. My goal is to have every single parking deck in the United States yes. with my signs with, with my signs and I'm to stop suicide. What do the signs say? My signs simply say the three words that mean the most that are on my wristband that I have to remind myself every day, you're not alone. It also says need help. It has call call or text 988 because, you know, we have a new number. Mm-hmm. Call or text 988 Suicide Prevention Lifeline or text HELP to 741741. You know, when I first got those signs up in 2019 in the first parking deck, uh, we had had right across the street from where the Hornets play. We had had six suicides there in four years. When my signs went up in 2019, they were only in the stairwell and the um, if you came up the stairs or the elevator, that was the only way you could really see them. We were heading in two years with no incidents when a 17-year-old girl went up to the parking deck, took off her glasses, took off her shoes, laid down her cell phone and jumped. 
And when I found out, I was devastated. So I went back up to the parking deck. He said, okay, where do you want the signs, Fonda? And I walked, he walked me over to where she jumped and my legs were just shaking. But I knew that pain. And I said, okay, let's put it all the way around the perimeter at the bottom where the elevators are. And they did. And since uh, December of 2020, we've had no suicides in that parking deck. And I know it's because of those three strong words, you're not alone and in the help of under it. So I have 11 parking decks, but that's not enough. I'm pushing hard for other uh, cities and states to get involved. I have the entire state of Massachusetts. Uh, state senator saw my signs and uh, saw my story in the Boston Herald. And he wrote a bill to make my signs mandatory in Massachusetts. And I don't live in Massachusetts, but it's just a wonderful, wonderful feeling to have gone from a person that was handcuffed and taken to a mental health facility and to be able to turn around and do the work that I'm doing. I, I'm, you know, I'm proud of myself, but I'm not done. It's absolutely amazing. And, and Fonda, what's also amazing is a lot of people never think that, when some people attempt suicide or, you know, complete the act, they may jump off of a building or jump off of a, a parking lot, a parking uh, high rise, as opposed to a bridge or a very, very tall building in a city. Or sometimes people overdose and sometimes people use weapons. Can you talk about the different stats? I think I, I think it's probably more with weapons, but you tell me where more people commit, su- how they commit suicide. How they die by suicide? Yes. Well, one of the biggest things is is something that the media doesn't really talk about because we're so focused on gun violence, we're so focused on mass shootings. But the stats say, and this and this is just horrible, fifty four percent of gun deaths in this country are suicides. Fifty four percent over half. Three over half. Three out of five gun deaths in this country are suicides. Now that's just gun deaths. That's just gun deaths. That's not jumping off bridges, hanging ourselves, Mm -hmm. uh, taking pills, um, slitting our wrists. That's just with guns. More people die. Now, listen to this, Chris. I hope this sinks into people and it's a call to action. I want this, this interview to be a call to action. More people die in the United States by, uh, by, uh, I'm sorry, more people die in the United States uh, by suicide than car deaths and homicides combined. Did you say by suicide? By suicide. More people in this country, in the United States, than car accidents. Die by suicide than car deaths and homicides combined. Wow. Combined. Combined. And that is why, you know, they actually have to set aside a month of September to make people aware of suicide and the impact it has on those who are still around, the families, the friends, and there are ways to solve this or at least prevent it or at least be aware of it. I got another question for you because some people say, wait a minute, seems like May was mental awareness, mental health awareness month. Is there a difference and do they go hand in hand? They go hand in hand. 90% of people who die by suicide have a treatable mental health condition. Now, there are other factors that can play into it. You know, you're going through a divorce, a Mm -hmm. breakup, uh, finances, because that was part one of my uh, situations. You can be dealing with a a terminal illness, looking at jail time. So it's other factors that can play into them, environmental factors. But at the end of the day, 90% of people who die by suicide have a treatable mental health condition. And you know why we don't go get help? Because of the way that society 
society looks at us. We're crazy. We're nuts. We're psycho. We're cray cray. We're loony. And this is what I always I want people to also know. Out of the millions and millions of people in the United States alone who have a mental health condition, only 5% of us have are violent. Only 5% of people who have a mental health condition are violent. And if they got, if it was early detected, they probably wouldn't be violent. Also, the stats say people with a mental health condition are more prone to violence committed against them than being perpetrators of violence. But that's not how the media portrays mm -hmm. it. That's not how the media portrays mm -hmm. it. And that's why we have to break down the walls of stigma and people need to get educated. Because even with me, before I became an advocate, I had a lot of myths about suicide and, and mental health. And since I become an advocate and get out here and educate people, you, you can see the light bulbs go off when you educate people. Like here's a myth. If we talk about suicide, people will do it. That's a myth. If we talk about it, we can stop it. Or there's a myth that more suicides occur in the winter months and during the holidays. That is a myth. Fact. Really? More suicides occur in the springtime and early summer. Really? Yes. Wow. Because people and they don't know why. People, people thought, I guess, like you said, they were thinking, okay, holidays, and people get lonely and they wind up being suicidal. And that's not the case. No. More people die in the springtime and early summer, and they think it's because people are getting outside. They're not sure. But see, those are the, some of the things that you can educate people on. Like if you ask somebody about suicide, it's a myth. If you ask somebody about suicide, it's going to increase the risk. That's not true. That's a myth. Fact, if you ask someone if they're suicidal, it lowers anxiety, gives them a chance to open up and let, let you know what's going on and for you to give and for you to be able to help us. So those are some of the things that people need to know. And I actually teach in the QPR training. We do a section on myths and facts. And I hope people will say, hey, I want to take that training, Miss Bonda. I want to take it because I want to help somebody. And again, it helps you to gauge your own mental health. It really does. Is there one final thing you want to leave everybody with about why uh, Suicide Prevention Month is important? I mean, it's a, it's a year-round thing, but it's the, the least in the month of September, people are recognizing what they need to do is step up. I tell everybody to get educated. And even though QPR suicide prevention training is great training, do you know the best way to save someone's life? And like I told you, I want this to be a call to action interview. So this is what I'm asking everybody to do. The best way to save someone's life is simply caring. Pick up the phone. If you have a neighbor that you know is kind of isolated, friends, family members, co-workers, call them. Check on them. And I know we're in a, Texas, a texting society. Mm -hmm. So if you text somebody and say, hey, how are you doing today? And they text back and they say, I'm straight. I'm okay. I'm all right. Pick up that phone and say, hey, are you sure you're okay? And above all else, be willing to just listen. Because sometimes we don't need y'all to fix stuff. Sometimes we just need a listening ear that's not judgmental. So I tell everyone, be kind, treat people with empathy, compassion, and kindness, because a smile can hide a lot of pain, and you have no idea what someone's going through. You have no idea. And again, I think you said it best. Let them speak. Listen. Don't judge. Don't even advise. Just listen to what they have to say, and that can be all the difference in the world. It can make all the difference. Fonda, is there a way that people can reach you? 
Sure. They can reach out to me on Facebook under Fonda Bryant. They can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram under ProudMom72, or they can just simply shoot me an email at Fonda, F-O-N-D-A-N-C underscore the number 4040 at yahoo.com. Thanks, Fonda, and thank you for joining us on Better Living, a show about people or organizations having a big impact in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. So long, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.